Welcome back to the Mothers with Fourth Degree Tears podcast, where you will hear firsthand stories from mothers who experienced fourth degree tears in childbirth and hear from the professionals who work with them. My name is Laura Fry and I'm your host. I am the founder of the Fourth Degree Tear Support Group on Facebook and a patient advocate for women with severe tearing in childbirth. And when he did that, I heard him ask for something else. And then he cut me three times. Because that is not, when you are not numb, that is not something that you forget. Today's guest is Madeline from Indiana. And she's going to tell us the story of her fourth degree tear during the birth of her first child. I'm excited to have Madeline on the show because she has been a part of our Facebook support group from pretty much the very beginning, about four and a half years ago. So we have gotten to know each other well, um, but we haven't actually spoken to each other or met each other in real life. So it's going to be really nice to finally meet her and talk with her. Um, she's also been an admin of the group for the last probably three years or so. Um, So we know each other really well, but we haven't actually spoken. So I'm really excited to do that and to hear her story. So here is Madeline from Indiana. Hi, Madeline. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I feel like we have uh, known each other for so long, but have never actually like spoken or met each other in real life, which is kind of weird. Yes. We're Facebook friends <laughs> from across yeah. the country. <laughs> right. We probably know uh, more about each other than some people in our real lives know. <laughs> yes. More personal and intimate details. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I'm really excited for you to be on the podcast and for you to share your story. Um, so if you want to just go ahead and get started, you can do that. Okay. Well, I was 22 when I found out I was pregnant, and it was a, like, oh, yeah, now I get to figure out what I'm doing with school now, because I was going to school full-time and working part-time as a nanny and occasionally as a CNA on the weekends, and so that was, so I was younger to have my first baby, and so you just kind of think, oh, you can figure it all out. It's okay. You don't need to take all the special classes if you just take the hospital birthing classes you'll be okay um so we just did that and I actually went into preterm labor after the first birthing class that we went to so I was 34 weeks mm-hmm. when that happened and it was actually an okay preterm labor I guess because it I stayed in the hospital most of the day in the triage room, which is no better than laying on an ER gurney for the entire day, but you're nine months pregnant. (laughs) And um, they stopped it with Procardia, which is a blood pressure medication, and then they put me on that for the next week and a half. And I already have, like, not low blood pressure, but it's, like, the bottom of normal. Mm Mm-hmm. And so to be put on blood pressure medicine, it took all my energy away. So I quit working at 34 weeks. And um, then at 30, probably around 38 weeks, I decided that, you know, like I had already made it past 
where my doctor told me I needed to make it to. And so I was doing everything in my power to try and get that baby to come. And it just happened one night walking through Lowe's and I wasn't sure if I peed myself or if my water broke. (laughs) (laughs) And because it wasn't like the giant gush that you see in the movies. It was just like a little bit. Yeah. And so we keep doing our shopping and we went to go to the grocery store to get some groceries, which was a really bad idea because we mainly got snack foods because it was Thanksgiving week. So we were like planning out, okay, we have all these meals that we'll get Mm -hmm. at family gatherings. So we got a lot of snacky foods. (laughs) Then when we came home from the hospital later, there was no real food in the house. (laughs) Right. And it happened again while I was walking around Walmart and I'm like, there is no way that I peed myself again because I it happened at Lowe's and then I went to the bathroom. So there's no way that I actually like am peeing myself this much. Mm-hmm. And but it wasn't like, you know, the TV gushes or they tell you in the hospital birthing classes that like you'll know when your water mm-hmm. breaks. Right. And it wasn't any of that and it wasn't pink. So there wasn't like the blood tin, like the bloody show or anything like that to prove. Right. And so we went home and went to bed and got up insanely early because Steven was going to go to work and I was going to go with him because I didn't want to have to drive myself in labor and I was just going to sit in the office. And instead we decided to go to the hospital because at that point we finally had a bloody show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure it's my water. Right. And went to the hospital and Oh my goodness, I've never seen so many women in labor at the same time. Oh, wow. 13 babies were born on day shift the day that I was admitted. Wow. (laughs) Yes. So I got into the room and because so many babies were being born, I got a nurse who didn't normally work on the floor, Mm. which was not fun. Um. She never told me that she was hooking up Pitt. Um, Hmm. She just hooked up an IV, which I didn't really pay attention to because it was just fluids. But, you know, you kind of figure out when you're hooked up to Pitt because your contractions start really, really quickly after that when you're not having any to begin with. Right. And because she said my water had broke and I was having contractions supposedly, but I couldn't feel those. Yeah. Um, So then they moved me into my labor room. They hooked me up to the constant monitoring that wasn't wireless. Like I was plugged into the monitor. And I wasn't allowed to unplug it unless I went to the bathroom. Yeah. So you were stuck in bed. Yes. They kept telling me I could walk because I kept telling them I wanted to walk. That was what felt best to work through the contractions. And they told me I could like dance beside the monitor thing but Mm -hmm. that wasn't really what I wanted to do (laughs) yeah um so I was mainly stuck in bed because I only took the hospital birthing classes and didn't really have any other idea of what to do with the pain right so um and I was the one because I wasn't progressing as quickly as everybody else I kept getting new nurses because 
my nurse would have to deliver a baby or go to emergency C-section. And so I got passed around quite a bit between nurses. Yeah. Until about second shift, I think things slowed down because I pretty much stayed with that nurse the rest of the night. And um, so I think it was it was around eight o'clock. So 10 hours when I could feel my contractions because I think we got to the hospital and in my room around nine and contractions started around 10 and then around eight o'clock at night. I just couldn't take it anymore with the contractions and I wanted to do it as naturally as possible. No pain meds. And I was crying for an epidural. Yeah. Contractions every two minutes for 10 hours is a lot. Yeah. And Pitocin contractions are nothing (laughs) like regular contractions. No. You just cannot get on top of them yeah no I remember watching the clock and having like a 30 second window where there was nothing happening yeah and you can't you like get to take a couple breaths in there and then just prepare for the next one and there's nothing like you it's normally that's in stage when you're getting ready to push and Mm -hmm. all of that yeah um and got the epidural. That was a treat. Mm-hmm. Trying to hold still in between contractions. Right. Do you and, know how dilated you were at that point? Um, I think around six, which is why I asked for it. Because, I mean, ten hours to get to six. I was like, this is going to be an eternity. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um. Because I know that once I hit eight, I hit ten really fast after that. Like, but it took until about probably. Let's see. He was born at three thirty, so I want to say probably closer to midnight or a little after for me to hit eight centimeters. So it was still a decent amount of time and we were doing sideline with like the opposite leg up in the stirrup and mm-hmm. all of that and it was not fun <laughs> at all yeah and I finally like my epidural started wearing off around the time that I hit eight and because I started telling her like I could feel the contractions and felt pushy like I didn't have that strong desire like your body takes over and just wants to push but I felt pushy yeah and then she flipped me the other way put the opposite leg in the syrup and like instantly with it like she didn't even finish charting that she had turned me and I was like I have to push Hmm. and she's like there's no way there's her 10 (laughs) centimeters and I'm like no I really have to push yeah and she checked, and I was. And the problem was my the on-call doctor that was there through the group that I was seeing had gone home. Mm. And that hospital would not let you push until your doctor was on the property in the <laughs> hospital. Yeah. So for 20 minutes, I 
was told because I had worked in healthcare. So I knew that, you know, we expect patients to follow our rules and not ever fight them or question them. So I was being the good patient that was doing my best to not push while arguing with my nurse that I really, really wanted to. Yeah. And finally, the doctor pulled into the parking lot and came into the room in his pajamas and (laughs) was there for one contraction and then went to go sleep in the on-call room. Wow. And I was like, really? We had to wait. Like, I like could have been pushing for the last 10 minutes. Like, yeah. really. Um, and pushed for an hour, a little over. And they called the doctor back in. Because I was exhausted by this point. I had been up for almost 23 hours in labor for most of it. And just exhausted. And he offered to do vacuum, and I consented to that. Um, I knew what vacuum extracting was. He did not mention anything to me about episiotomy. Um, I guess in backing up a little bit, the nurse kept telling him that I was feeling my contractions and that my epidural had worn off, and he was arguing with her that I couldn't feel them. And that my epidural was still working, even though I was telling them, I'm going to push. Yeah. And they were telling me to wait because my contraction wasn't strong enough on the paper. Mm. Because, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Right. (laughs) You can't possibly know what's going on with your own body. Right. I I can't feel my belly tightening up. I have no idea what's happening. Right. (laughs) Um. And when he did that, I heard him ask for something else. And then he cut me three times. Because mm. that is not, when you are not numb, that is not something that you forget. Yeah. And good thing that labor rooms are pretty soundproof. <laughs> right. And then he did ex- suction or vacuum and he came out. And, of course, when you have a vacuumed baby, the NICU team has to come. Mm -hmm. And so then, not only are, you know, all the lights on, the bright, huge lights are pulled down from the ceiling to let the doctor see things better and everything else. Then you have, like, an extra ten people in the room staring at you. And um, they... Laid him on my belly while my husband cut the cord and then took him to be examined in the little bed thing. And I remember getting, like, the lidocaine, like, each individual poke and a few of the stitches before it finally numbed completely. I don't remember how many suture kits he asked for, but I have, it was a lot. Like, I remember thinking, I've never heard for that many suture kits called for before. And um, he told me that I had had a fourth, like, he cut me a little bit, but I tore the rest of the way and had a fourth degree tear. But nobody ever went into greater detail on what that meant. Um, And then I got, they gave me pain meds in my IV, but I want to, like, 
And then you get your two hours in your room. Um, and we had had some pictures taken. And looking at them, I can see the postpartum depression all over my face. Mm. Yeah. But nobody caught it. <laughs> that mm. was bad. But moms are supposed to smile after they have babies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they put me in the worst wheelchair imaginable. Um, the hospital I gave birth at has some really different kinds of wheelchairs. They're great. If you are the healthcare worker, they are horrible if you are the patient. There's no padding. You might as well just be sitting on a concrete floor. Wow. And so to have a fourth degree tear and you go from your cushy bed where you were sleeping and then forced to be transferred in a wheelchair, it was horrible. And I yeah. cried. I'm sure. All the way from my room to like my delivery room to my postpartum room. And I remember thinking, like, because I worked in healthcare, and I'm like, I have never transferred somebody rooms via wheelchair. <laughs> like, right. We drag beds. They have wheels. Like, right. And I just remember thinking, why afterwards? Like, why did they not just let me lay in my bed and wheel that into the other room? Right. That does not make any sense. No. And you just had, like, major surgery <laughs> where you're sitting like <laughs> exactly oh my god like I just oh it was like it was the longest ride down the hallway ever at like five o'clock in the morning because wow. you are six because you get two hours he was born at 3 30 and after everybody leaves you get two hours to recuperate in your delivery room and then you have to leave yeah. so yeah, I mean, fresh, you don't transfer post-op patients in a right. wheelchair. Right. Even if their <laughs> surgery was on, like, their arm or their leg, you know, and they're, yeah, wow, that just, that's Yes. <laughs> it was nuts. I mean, I get a normal, a normal vaginal delivery, you're pretty okay to sit, but not when you've had stitches and all over the place right wow that's and... like I mean that's like telling a c-section patient hey we're gonna lay you on your stomach and we're gonna roll you to your room you know like yes <laughs> <laughs> it was miserable and I remember my that nurse told me I needed to get my boppy which was at home to sit on and I'm thinking so I'm supposed to call somebody to bring my boppy up here which I live an hour away from the hospitals yeah and so that did not happen I didn't really leave my bed for the majority of the time that I was in the hospital right and I had oh the worst postpartum day shift nurse I think that could have ever been assigned to a patient with a fourth degree tear mm -hmm. She wanted me off my pain meds, um, kept kind of rolling her eyes at me when I tell her that I still had pain. Wow. Um, wanted to take my ice packs away 
oh, those ice packs are lifesavers. Right. That does not make any sense. No. And she, thankfully, she was able to round with the different doctor that, um, because, you know, it was a huge group. So you have, you never see the same doctor twice. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was able to round with him the day that he said for me to keep my ice packs and to keep up on my pain meds. Yeah. Um, So that was nice that he was on my side. Yeah. Oh, and back to when doctor was stitching me up. I remember vividly him saying to put in an order for a stool softener. Mm -hmm. It never got put in. Because grouchy nurse that wanted to take me off my pain meds, I kept asking for a stool softener because once I sat in my bed and Googled what a fourth degree tear was, I knew I needed to be on stool softeners. Right. She kept telling me to take milk of mag or drink, or no, 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 she wouldn't even let me have milk of mag. She just wanted me to drink prune juice. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. The night shift nurse was nice enough to offer me milk of mag because she didn't want to just call the doctor in the middle of the night to get an order for a stool softener. Which is crazy. I mean, that's over-the-counter stuff. Like Exactly. <laughs> like, it's I'm like... saying that you even have to get an order for stool softener that you can buy at CVS. Oh, uh, you have to get an order for everything. Like, because I asked for Tom's while I was in labor... And they had to wait on the doctor to give the okay to give me Tums. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just... And then, oh, the kicker of it all of my hospital experience was being discharged. And I'm sure in the goodness of her heart, she was thinking it was better than riding on the horrible, awful, godforsaken wheelchairs. Um, But my nurse just had me walk out. Mm. So I had to walk from the back of the unit, clear to the front of the unit, and out the doors. Mind you, I had not left my room in the past two days. I wasn't being a good compliant patient and doing my walks. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was awful. I mean, I don't really know which one would have been worse, sitting on the horrible wheelchair. Because I worked in that hospital after my son was born. And I know, like, to find a normal wheelchair was like finding a needle in a haystack. Um, but, yeah, I walked, like, and, you know, from experience, walking with fourth degree tear is a whole new challenge yeah in itself right because even some sweatpants have seams that are thick enough that irritate yeah and yeah and just the pressure yeah yes (laughs) and everything yeah yes and that was a horrible 45 minute drive home Mm. and bless my husband's heart he drove the jeep through the yard, right up to the doors. <laughs> we did <laughs> yeah. not have to walk far to get into the house. Yeah. 
Oh, man. Yeah. So you yeah. mentioned um, the postpartum depression that looking back now, you realize you had it pretty much right away. Yes. Um, but you, I mean, did anyone recognize it at any point? My husband did. Yeah. Um, I, I knew I did, but I didn't. You're in that mental state where you feel someone's going to take your kid, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens a lot with mm-hmm. admitting that you have a problem because I didn't like my son, which is easier for me to admit now than it was even a few years ago. I blamed him because if he hadn't been born, then I wouldn't have had a fourth degree tear and we wouldn't be in the situation that we were in. Yeah. And obviously now I know that there were a lot of other contributing factors, um, rather than his large head (laughs) and nine pound body yeah um but my husband did I didn't get put on anything until six weeks out Mm -hmm. so for six weeks I sat at home trying to deal with it which was not going well at all um and I did not tell the doctor any of the thoughts that I was having because th- they were in my mind like CPS was going to show up at my house if I told somebody the thoughts that I was having. Yeah. And um, I just told her I needed something. It was not good. I needed help. And she told me that because I could dress myself and dress my baby and I could feed my baby because I was breastfeeding, that it couldn't possibly be postpartum depression, and it was probably just the baby blues because I wasn't sleeping. Mm. Which is just not true. No. Absolutely not true. To have, I mean, I went there. I mean, granted, I didn't give her all the details, but to, like, you go and tell somebody you need help, and they tell you that you don't is like a smack in the face so she only gave me a six month prescription for postpartum depression and I I want to say I had like switched doctors or something like that before the six months was up and because that I don't go back (laughs) that same place anymore which I know a lot of us have all switch practices and yeah yeah almost almost three quarters of us usually switch yeah which is huge yeah yes (laughs) it says a lot yeah yeah so you switch to a different practice for your next pregnancy yes yeah do you want to tell us a bit about that yes I can um it was Oh my goodness, night and day difference. I felt like a person instead of a number, but it was kind of one of those things that you didn't really notice it until you saw the difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And they would sit and talk to me every time I had an appointment about vaginal birth versus C-section and what they would do to support me if I chose a vaginal birth and all, like, because... While we've found statistical evidence, it's not 
huge statistical evidence on whether it will happen again. Like, nobody's really conducted a thorough study on if you have a fourth degree tear, what the likelihood of it happening again is. It's right. They were, which is true, and they were telling me that. Um, and so while I gave birth to Lance with all the lights on and a blue million people in the room and legs up in stirrups, I gave birth to my daughter with all the lights off except for like the night lights that were on. So, and I think the bathroom light was on to give a little bit of light. Um, she did have meconium in her water, so the NICU team was called. But instead of there being, like, ten of them, there was two. And they stood in the corner of the room. And as soon as she came out and was crying, they, like, I didn't even notice that they left. Yeah. Um, I got to give birth in whatever position I wanted to. Um, apparently my babies like to come in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> so, which the, is actually very common yeah. for a for a um like an intervention free birth yeah okay yeah and well, I was very tired I wanted to do on all fours but I could did not have the strength to hold myself mm-hmm. up because I was so tired um so I did side lying and it was so much easier I did have a lot of anxiety during the pushing stage but because of having the practice that I had instead of just getting annoyed they talked me through it and because I kept saying I wanted a c-section but she was crowning so you can't really have a c-section when you're crowning um and that phantom scar pain oh my goodness that that was why I wanted the C-section. <laughs> and talking to my physical therapist um, afterwards, she said it like that didn't surprise her at all because I said mm-hmm. it felt so real, but it like I said it couldn't have been because it went away so quickly. <laughs> like once she was born, it wasn't really there anymore. Yeah. Um, and. She said it was just because it did take me six months, I think, before I got referred to physical therapy. So I was wearing yoga pants for quite a while. <laughs> tell us, um, tell us a bit. I mean, I know what you're talking about with the the phantom pains, but for those who might uh, be listening and not know, you know, your story or what happened there, do you want to go into it a little bit more? Yeah. So it was about the time she was crowning, like. I mean, day-to-day, my scar does not hurt. I know a lot of other people that have scars other places, you can sometimes, the numbness or it feels weird. Um, But day-to-day, I don't notice it. But it was, like, pushing, like, it just, it was that scar just hurt. Um, And I know you had asked once if it was the ring of fire, but I remember it wasn't just during crowning. Mm -hmm. It was, like, the whole... Push, like the whole body pushing her out and even for a little bit afterwards um and it just it felt like that was where it was going to rip again like you just have this horrible gut feeling I mean you're at higher risk anyways because it's 
kind of like a crease in a piece of paper. It's more likely to tear there than anywhere else. Right. Um, and I pretty sure they gave me Halidol, which is an anti-anxiety medication afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause it was just having that worry that that's what it was going to be. I mean, that's what I just kept telling them was my scar, my scar like that. It didn't really hurt anywhere other than where I had stitches the first time. And it's a very scary thing to think that it's going to happen again. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so she came out and you had a second degree with her, right? Yes. And that is like a cakewalk. (laughs) (laughs) I went to swim lessons um, the next week because she was born on a Sunday. Well, yes, a Sunday morning. So my son had swim lessons the next Saturday and I made it to them and just sat there and people were all and I'm like but this was a cakewalk you don't understand yeah in comparison and I actually participated in swim lessons the next week because he was in the little kid ones where mom and dad get in with you and I actually got to get in the water with him the following week yeah do you feel like you um that you probably like pushed yourself too far after that delivery because you felt so much better than the first maybe (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't sleeping a lot either so then we weren't and we weren't leaving the house so I think it was my excuse Mm. to get out of the house yeah yeah um because yeah new mom to I had a two and a half year old and a newborn and (laughs) so we were not leaving the house unless somebody else was driving somewhere. Yeah, right. Yeah. I just noticed that with myself, like after my second was born, I felt so good. I was like, I can do anything. Like, yes. Great. And like, <laughs> I probably didn't rest as much as I should have. Yeah. Yes. Cause yeah. you do, you just, yeah. When you feel, when you know what it was like the first time and right. Yeah. We went outside and, Probably did, yeah. I would say I did way more than I probably should have. <laughs> Especially when people give you weird looks because you're a week postpartum and you're at swim lessons. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And so your experience has actually made you kind of want to change your career path. Yes. Yeah. So while I, right before I found out I was pregnant with Lance, I had decided I was going to be a nurse Mm -hmm. and so I was you know in the year and a half after that before I got pregnant with Luna a little bit before that I had been figuring out where I was going to go back to school and what I was going to do and all of that and then it just I connected with the doula network here Um, Because we have one in Fort Wayne and met up with the head of the doula network of the time and decided to go more into that. And I started doing some of the activities that are, 
mean, it's because it's not like normal college. So you don't really <laughs> have homework, homework, but you have assignments that you have yeah. to complete. And I was starting to do those and read some of the extra books that we needed to read. And it just started hitting me how much, especially in the birthing world, we don't give informed consent. Mm-hmm. We in, we give the patient the bare minimum and then just expect them to comply and what? not like with giving me the um, monitoring, you are just expected to keep that on um, and not, you know, I wasn't supposed to ask to be only monitored every 15 minutes per hour or mm-hmm. every half an hour per hour, like, or even for the wireless ones. Like, I was just expected to comply and sit in my bed or beside the bed or whatever to not bother them. Right. And because they were busy, and I will give them that. There was 13 babies born on day yeah. shift. They were busy. Yeah. But that's also not your fault. No. <laughs> yeah. And you shouldn't have to suffer from that and have, you know, not the best care possible just because they are busy. Right. Yeah. And to just, we, like, you're not in your full capacity, mental capacity when you're in labor at all. I will say that for both labors and my daughter's was so much easier but you're still just not at that mental capacity to even say I don't want this. You kind of need somebody else in your corner telling you and reminding you you didn't want this before you were in labor. Right. And so that is why I really would love to do doula work. It's very tricky now with two kids and <laughs> my husband works insane hours. Like he's gone most of the time. And so to find somebody that would watch kids and not know if my husband's going to get a road call or something like that makes it difficult yeah. in that sense. So I would love to. Maybe when my kids are a little bit older. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you could even look into something like in the short term, um, more like maybe postpartum doula work where it could be a little bit more scheduled hours. (laughs) Yes. Not like the on-call life, you know, where you would have to drop what you're doing at any time. Yeah. Yes. I also love the idea of birth classes too Mm, mm -hmm. and while I understand the fees I live in a kind of a lower income area that can't always afford to take you know the $200 birthing classes and we have our local hospital has a very high c-section rate because of high induction rates which is not where I gave birth either time but a lot of the people give you know have their babies there because it's in town just in the close town not driving clear an hour away to have your baby right and just because I say like it's you can have a great birth if you don't take birthing classes and everything can work out fine but I am the case that not everything always works out fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And just going back um, to what you were saying about 
the informed consent. Like a lot of people think, and unfortunately even some medical professionals think that informed consent is you get to the hospital and you sign this piece of paper and that's saying that you basically consent to whatever treatment the doctor or nurse thinks that you should have and that's it. So yeah, that nurse could come in and start you on Pitocin without even talking to you about it and they think that that is um, informed consent, but it's not. No. Uh, Informed consent means you were informed (laughs) in a conversation about what your options are. We think that you need Pitocin because your water broke and, you know, labor hasn't started, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, And so here are your options. We can either start you or not. And these are the risks and benefits of those options. Right. And then you consent or you don't consent. Um, right. Yeah. And so that is true informed consent. Um, yes. And it, and, well, even like in the case of my episiotomy, mm-hmm. I think he assumed because I consented to vacuum. Right. That I would consent to an episiotomy. And right. Whether he needed the episiotomy to attach the vacuum or not, I still should have been asked. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I, my situation was very similar. And yeah, I mean, in the moment, would you probably have consented? Yes. Yes, but, but I wasn't fine. asked. <laughs> right, and finding out after the fact, well, you knew right away, but I didn't right. really find out until later. Like, knowing that they did that to you and did not even talk to you about it or tell you ahead of time or anything I mean that's um I don't even know the words to describe it but (laughs) well and for me too I don't think I would have said yes because I wasn't numb and I knew (laughs) I wasn't numb yeah that's true right and so like because my epidural had worn off I was could move my legs and feel my toes and yeah all of that so I mean That was, I mean, you don't cut anybody else unless they're numb, unless it's a dire emergency. And I can tell you it was not a dire emergency. Right. Um, Because, I mean, they laid him on my belly while his, they did a little bit of delayed cord clamping, which I'm honestly kind of surprised about. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, had it been a true emergency, they wouldn't have done they would have just whisked him away for NICU to look at him right away. Right. So it was not a dire emergency. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just wanted to point that out for people who were listening who might not know exactly what you mean by the informed consent. It's not people who are just saying like, oh, I don't want this or that, like in any situation ever. Like, right. Yeah. It's you want to be informed about it and told your options and told the risks and benefits and you want to be part of the decision making because it is your body and your baby. And yeah. Yes. And but also, like you said, sometimes (laughs) labor puts you in a completely different um, space. So, yeah, doulas can be really important to ask those questions like, you know, well, what are the options and 
what are the risks and benefits to each and yeah yes yeah yes and maybe of even looking back because I know you don't necessarily have to stay on pit for your whole labor Mm. sometimes it just helps to jump start yeah right so to have even had somebody to say like do we still need it do we need this like can she be saline locked for a little bit (laughs) yeah but you're not in that state of mind most of the time when contractions are that thick and heavy I think maybe at the beginning you can be but not when contractions are and your husband as great and supportive as your husband can be he is not a doula (laughs) right (laughs) they are not they are too empathetic Mm. and at least my husband is and if I mean, even with Luna, he knew that I didn't want any drugs. I didn't want anything. But if I had said I wanted an epidural five minutes into being (laughs) at the hospital, he just said, okay. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It makes it a little easier on them if you're not in pain. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is there, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Um... Can't. You have your you have your panel, which is yes. really exciting. Yes, I'm excited for that to come together and get to talk to the doula network because it's not. I mean, like they have said, it's not. We're just now making a stance, being fourth degree tear moms. We don't have a huge. There's not research just done specifically on us. Other than what we've done in our group taking polls. I mean, it's all linked together with third degree. And right. There's a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the little bit of research that is out there that does separate them, you know, shows that there are big differences in the third and fourth degree tears. And yes, you know, some of the complications later on from them. Yeah. Yes. And I think, yeah, my biggest thing. And I kind of regret now is not ever taking a stance, like seeking maybe legal counsel to have seen if anything could be done. And it wouldn't have been even to like have gotten financial compensation from it. Mm-hmm. But like you said, the complications further down the road, like if I need surgery further down the road, mm-hmm. it- don't necessarily want I mean it will because I'm past the statute of limitations but it didn't it would have been better in my mind had it not financially fell on me to fix a problem that wasn't my fault to begin with yeah um but I mean there wasn't I had google as my friend (laughs) (laughs) yeah but I'm excited for the panel just to, because there will be um, a local physical therapist and somebody from Fertility and Midwifery Care Center, which is where I had my daughter, mm-hmm. um, and me, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to sit over there and talk about just, I mean, pelvic floor strengthening and recovering anyways, I think it's a great thing after any vaginal birth 
Yeah. And, and even even C-section births also, yeah. Yes, because, I mean, yeah. just having a baby, I mean, inside of you weakens your pelvic floor. That's why we all pee ourselves. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's really awesome that you're doing that. You know, yes. you'll be speaking to doulas who then can help, you know, in especially the post, well, Hopefully they'll help prevent some tearing, maybe. Yes, um, or even at least I, to, yeah. if somebody does, to just give them the resources. Right, exactly. Like, unlike you and I, where we had to kind of research and dig around and find our own things to fight for. Yeah, and you do have to fight for it, unfortunately. Yeah. Yes, like you yeah, have to fight for pelvic floor therapy you have to fight for the mental health side of things like you mentioned yes Um, the doctors don't realize that severe tearing puts you at a higher risk of having like postpartum depression ptsd yes yes yeah and then even seeing specialists (laughs) i and you know this also, and you agree, <laughs> I would love to see all of us get referred automatically to, you know, like a urogynecologist or a colorectal surgeon just yes. for like evaluation and for follow-up. Yes. Yeah. And I feel too that, I mean, cause the options that I was handed at 23, 24, um, the rate that it would last would be five to ten years and then it could go worse than what it was currently and it's like so in five years I wouldn't even be 30 right and I could be more incontinent than what I currently am right in your 20s yeah yeah and so I I mean there needs to be somebody doing research in that field of some we have we can 3d print all kinds of things <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah yes yeah, so well hopefully as we keep raising awareness hopefully there will be more research and yes yeah, changes can be made yes because i mean like you saying referred immediately to a urogynecologist like physical therapies are just being automatic mm-hmm you have a baby and you go. And that was another struggle. Even when I was referred six months out, um, I had to find my physical therapist because Mm. she just wrote it for physical therapy. Yeah. And you haven't finally blessed the secretary who gave (laughs) me the number to call after it was like three offices. She finally was like, this is the office that you need to call to get the help that you need. Right. Because this isn't just any regular physical therapy. This is a very specialized, you want like a women's health, like pelvic floor therapy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You want the private, the ones that have a private room. <laughs> yes. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank goodness for that one. Cause I was just, I mean, she said just call this number on the paper and that was not the one and so then I'm just looking up on Google different physical therapy offices (laughs) yeah right yeah 
Yeah. yeah and I mean they are doing this and mm-hmm. like especially in the UK and some parts of like Canada and I know there are like few but there are some hospital systems in the U.S. that do this they have like these care programs for severe tearing where you are automatically sent to physical therapy you are automatically referred to a specialist you know you're checked up more often than just your regular six-week checkup um yes and that just needs to be the standard yes yeah yes I know my physical therapist went to because she works inside the hospital she like it's the outpatient center but in the same essentially building um went to labor and delivery and talked to some of the nurses and she talked to some of the midwives that work within that hospital and like said if somebody has a severe tear they need to be referred to her before they discharge so she can go and talk to them before they discharge and they can set up care afterwards but that was because of me because it was six months out Mm. yeah but she can't do a lot for the group that I was with when I had my son Mm -hmm. well (laughs) maybe someday yeah right (laughs) well thank you so much for talking with me yes thank you for having me on yeah it's so nice to finally meet you (laughs) yes (laughs) phone and chat with you yeah yes it would be nice someday to go with you to one of the I know you've spoken at a conference and done the walks living in the midwest we don't have anything like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah hopefully we can yeah think of something for sure yes yeah Thank you for listening to this episode of Mothers with Fourth Degree Tears podcast. If you have any comments or questions or if you would be interested in being a guest on our show, please email me at motherswithfourthdegreetears at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and hope to talk to you again soon.